the Great British Manufacturing Podcast, brought to you by MTD, MFD and Jefferson. Hello and welcome to this week's Great British Manufacturing Podcast, where we'll be doing our best to big up the UK manufacturing sector. We've also got news from the likes of Danfoss, Boeing, Hotel Chocolate and a lot more. We'll also be discussing a new survey conducted by Factory Now member Protolabs. On the show this week, we'll be welcomed Jeremy Waddell, founder and CEO of Cornish Lithium. My name is Joe Reynolds and joining me as always is Stuart Whitehead. Now, just before we start, we'd like to talk about a couple of the new Factory Now members. New members are joining the Factory Now platform every week, which has been launched to help the British manufacturing sector boost sales, collaborate, and reshore. New members this week include Numunda Visual Factory, a leading digital smart software provider, and tax relief reclaim specialist, Catex. Stuart, a very warm welcome to the show. How are things? Morning, Joe. Another busy week and, uh, yeah, very much looking forward to to the latest podcast. Yeah, let's jump straight in. Uh, News that broke a couple of hours ago, a new gigafactory potentially in Coventry set to create another 6,000 jobs for the area. Yeah, fantastic news and continue our run of a new gigafactory every week, Joe. Um, Planning application for a new plant has been, and this is going to be situated at Coventry Airport, has been submitted by a newly formed joint venture partnership between the airport and and Coventry City Council. Mm -hmm. If given the green light, the 5.7 million square foot site and recycling plant is expected to add 434 million pound in gross value to the regional economy. The proposal also claims that the 6,000 new jobs, as you alluded to, will be created, 10 to 1,000 more in the supply chain. And the great thing is the factory will be powered by 100% green energy, including solar and wind power. Yeah, looking at my window, I'm not sure how much solar solar energy you'd be creating today, but it's uh, p- plenty of wind power. It's pretty windy here. Um, the next one, uh, NSERC, they're creating hundreds of jobs at their new factory in Cheshire. Yeah, another inward investment story, always very popular. Spanish-owned glass bottle manufacturer NSERC has announced its firm commitment to decarbonising by the middle of, the, of this decade, using hydrogen in its furnaces to create billions of ultra-low carbon glass bottles. The availability of hydrogen would enable the further expansion of the site, leading to the creation of at least 200 jobs, whilst also future-proofing existing roles. Moving on to Danfoss, they're going to build a new £25 million innovation centre in Edinburgh. Yeah, we've had Spain moving on to to, to Denmark. So Danish engineering giant Danfoss has received planning permission from Midlothian Council for a new £20 million innovation centre which will be located at Shawfair Business Park in just outside Edinburgh. And the centre will provide a home for Danfoss teams working on next-generation climate-friendly technologies in hydraulics, digitalisation and, and electrification, and will also include new manufacturing facilities set to be operational by the end of next year. At the, at the time of the opening, the company expects around about 110 people to be based at the facility, but this could potentially rise to 200 within four years. Fantastic, isn't it? Absolutely fantastic. And the next one is better still. Hotel <laughs> Chocolat. They're set to create 250 jobs to uh, yeah to meet their soaring demand. And it, it, it's not just me, Stuart, I must admit. I'm sure there's other people that eat it. No, this was so well received on social media. It always is chocolate. We've talked obviously about Cadbury and other companies in the past and uh, people can't get enough of it. Uh, so yeah, the British firm is set to create 250 new jobs this year to support its expansion plans. And this really has been driven by online sales, which are set to overtake store sales for the first time in, in the firm's history. 
online sales just were, were just around about 15% of the total business just three years ago, but will hit more than 50% this year. Um, so incredible growth. Um, as a result, sales are expected to be expectations. Store sales have returned to pre-pandemic levels. And plans include a fourth truffle-making line and a new production line for its home hot chocolate machines at its factory in, in, in Cambridgeshire. I didn't know they made those. Maybe I'll get on the uh, get on the waiting list for a homemade chocolate machine. Well, we'll just keep mentioning them. I'm sure they'll send us one. <laughs> yeah, good idea. Uh, so before we move on, Stuart, I'd like to take a, a brief pause in the Positive UK Manufacturing News. There's plenty more to come. But before we move on, I'd like to introduce Jeremy Rathall, founder and CEO of Cornish Lithium. Jeremy, a very, very warm welcome to the podcast. If we can just kick it off, can we learn a little bit about you, your career to date, and your current role and responsibilities, please? Thanks, Joe. It, um, yes, my career to date, really, very importantly, I started off um, my life as a uh, training as a mining engineer in Cornwall at the uh, Camborne School of Mines, which is um, the UK's premier mining uh, training facility. Um, and then that really gave me that grounding in mining engineering um, and also to Cornwall and a lifelong love of Cornwall. And then I worked in the South African gold mines for, for, for a few years and then embarked on a career in investment banking in, in the city of London um, and headed up a couple of uh, major banking mining teams. Um, and then in, in 2016, I started thinking about the massive changes that would come as we move towards electric vehicles, particularly the raw material demand that that would bring in lithium and in in, in other um, commodities. And I remembered that a friend of mine had, had mentioned lithium in Cornwall and started to research it, and that's how Cornish Lithium started. Fascinating. And just moving on to Cornish Lithium, can you just give us an overview of the business, where it is today and what you hope to achieve? Sure. And since that date in 2016, where I set the company up, um, we have made enormous progress. And obviously, we've had a fantastic tailwind as well, as that, that uh, move towards electric vehicles has come much, much quicker than anybody really expected. And that's been pushed ahead again by uh, by COVID, by 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 um, Brexit, by the, the, the trade war with, between China and the US. And really, that, that, that's provided us a fantastic tailwind because, you know, things like uh, uh, Norway have gone nearly 80% electric vehicles. That just shows you how quickly it can happen. Um, but what have we done in Cornish Lithium? We, we, we set it up. We, we acquired a lot of um, uh, mineral rights agreements over a very large area of Cornwall. Um, nearly 600 square kilometres onshore and another 400 square kilometres offshore because we we think the uh, structures that host lithium do continue offshore. So we've really um, assembled a team of nearly 30 people now. Um, we are uh, building a, a pilot plant to extract lithium from geothermal waters. That's the the the, um, the water that contains lithium deep underneath the surface. And we're also building um, very rapidly. We're building a, a, a project in um to do extract lithium from from granite uh, rock itself so um we, we're making huge progress now fascinating to hear your background and an overview of uh, your company as well jeremy i've got a couple of listener questions but before i do um forgive my ignorance in terms of the process for extracting lithium onshore and offshore are there other major differences um, so, so really, the the, the offshore is, is something that we we I don't think we're seeing going to see that happen for a very long time. But we we secured those rights from the Crown Estate, which we're very delighted to do. 
Um, but I think that for the moment, the exploration and, and extraction will be focused onshore, and, and the process um, is ready to drill down into uh, geological fractures that contain lithium uh, enriched fluid. It's, it, why is it there in the first place? It's there because the, the, the granite that underlies Cornwall extends all the way from Dartmoor in the east to the Isles of Scilly in the west. That is one huge blob of what was formerly molten uh, lava and it went away with it cooled very very slowly over millions of years ago um and and that that rock that granite rock is enriched in lithium it's one of only five massively um very large scale lithium enriched granites in the entire world uh, according to the united states geological survey um and and really that that Granite has been heavily fractured um, naturally by by geological processes over the last three hundred million years, and the water that's circulating through that granite is leaching lithium out of it, and hence you're getting um, lithium in solution. So what we do is we drill into those fractures, we pump it up to surface, we put it through what's called a direct lithium extraction plant, which is really a big chemistry set. Um, it uses a filter cartridge very similar but obviously on a much larger scale to your Brita water filter cartridge in your water jug. Um, it, that, that particular filter it, it, uh, extracts the lithium from the brine, and then we um, put the brine back underground. Um, <clears throat> that, that, that process is, is, was very novel and very new when I started this company off, but now we've assessed over 20 different technologies that can do that. We've had two pilot plants or test plants on site um, over the last few months. We've been extracting lithium from the water, albeit on a small scale, but um, pioneering towards a much, much larger scale plant. And, and really, you know, really excited about what we see, um, both from, from water where we've sucked it out from shallow depths, that's about 1,000 metres, and also from the deep geothermal project, which has been drilled down to five Point two kilometers, quite a staggering number when you think about it. Um, so, you know, we're really excited about that. And and obviously, uh, direct lithium extraction has now become very much more mainstream. If you look at uh, projects in in Germany and in California and across the US, those are are very similar to what we're doing in Cornwall. No, thanks for explaining that. And um, as I said, a question from a listener, and it. <laughs> More than one listener has asked this question. Um, what exactly is lithium um, and which industries is it most common, commonly used? Uh, so lithium is a, is, a, is a sort of white silvery metal. It's the third element in the periodic table. It's the lightest metal by a long way. Um, it's also one of the most reactive metals. And the reason it is so special is that it, it can um, be charged and recharged uh, very quickly. It has a spare electron which can can be which enables it to have that unique high chargeability and um, also and most importantly light lightness so for an electric vehicle obviously you've got to keep the weight down we don't actually use lithium in the battery itself although that is coming that we will probably will move to solid state lithium batteries which are, would and hold the charge even better but for the time being the lithium ion battery which was first developed in the uk in 1981 and then commercialized by sony um, is now obviously being built into electric vehicles. The chemical that goes into that is a lithium carbonate or lithium hydroxide, uh, really a white powder, uh, both of them, both of which we've uh, successfully produced from our, our both our, our geothermal water and our hard rock project in Cornwall on a small scale, but we know um, still very encouraged about that. But it, it, it's, a, it's basically a a white powder that goes into the battery manufacturing industry. And, and most of lithium at the moment is used in um, ceramics and in um, 
glass such as your Pyrex jug, your your induction uh, cooker hob. But increasingly, though, that lithium is going into electric vehicles. So, and most lithium uh, going forward, by far the most lithium demand will come from electric vehicles and and very importantly, battery power storage. So obviously with sustainable power, wind power, and solar power, then they're not always on. They're intermittent power sources. And if you can put them into a very large lithium ion battery, you can actually store that power um, and then and get access to it very, very quickly. So there, there are two massive sources of, of demand, electric vehicles and battery storage. So, you know, we are seeing this space being transformed. And you mentioned recent trade wars. How vital is it to secure a domestic domestic supply of such metals to support the UK's industrial strategy as we move towards a, a zero carbon future? I, I think it's it's hugely important, um, Stuart. The, the the recently introduced rules of origin, which came into place after Brexit, mean that up to sixty percent of a vehicle, uh, in our case, an electric vehicle, um, from this will be or be banned from buying anything but an electric vehicle from 2030 onwards, will have to be sourced um, from the UK or Europe. Um, the big problem is neither the UK or Europe currently produce any battery-grade um, lithium at all from, from, from a domestic source. So in order to meet that 60%, it's going to be very difficult without a domestic source of lithium. Um, roughly in a car, the battery pack makes up about 50% of the value of the car, and of the of the battery pack, about 30% or more of that is made up the, by the value of the raw material. So to get to 60% of a vehicle being sourced from the EU or Europe, in my view, necessitates a domestic source of supply. Um, so really, it is hugely important for the UK to have that source of supply because the automotive industry directly and indirectly currently produce, uh, it employs about 800,000 people in the UK. Now, if we lose that industry... Um, that is catastrophic for the UK. It's one of it's. In fact, I think it is our biggest export by value, um, and and it really is would be catastrophic for the U, U, UK economy if we were to lose the automotive in sector. Um, and really, you know, a, a, a secure, sustainable supply of lithium um, and other battery metals will make a huge difference to the UK economy. Um, every ton of lithium that we can produce here is a ton that we don't have to import. Uh, from say China or or elsewhere, so massively important industry for the UK going forward. And final question for me: another sub- submitted question. Um, it, reportedly, lithium producers globally are struggling to to meet demand, um, driven as you say by um, the growth of electric vehicle manufacturing um, across the world. How can this imbalance between supply and demand be resolved, and can it be resolved in a timely manner? Um, I think that. We definitely are in a supply-demand deficit now. We were in a surplus for the last couple of years, and we saw lithium prices drop from $21,000 a tonne to nearly $6,500 a tonne, which is catastrophic for the lithium industry. And really, that caused a lot of new projects not to be built. Um, that situation is now dramatically reversed as we have gone to much, much faster electric vehicle adoption than anybody expected. Um, and, and as I said earlier, Norway is a, is, a, is a good example of that, where you've got 80% electric vehicle adoption in roughly three years. So that supply is going to have to come from somewhere. Um, at the moment, the, the global industry produces around 400,000 tonnes of lithium carbonate equivalent or lithium carbonate. Um, we expect that demand to rise. Sorry, that was the supply. We expect demand 
to rise to over 2 million tonnes in the very foreseeable future in the next 10 years or so. Um, and, and the answer is simply that at the moment, as currently um, set up, the, the global mining industry will not be able to reach that number. And that's really caused the automotive industry to wake up. Um, it's fine to be building mega factories mm. and building cars, but if you don't have the supply, um, that could severely constrain the adoption of electric vehicles or the, the, the manufacture of them. So it is a, it is a really big uh, issue. Um, the biggest problem is that a lot of people say, oh, yeah, well, lithium is an abundant element. Well, it is, but it's not economically, it's not abundant in terms of um, economic sources. Economic sources are very, very difficult to find. And um, it, particularly in some situations in Europe, um, they, 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 those, they, those potential deposits are constrained by um, geography or or uh, population or uh, other considerations. So it's really, it is a huge challenge for the mining industry or the mineral extraction mm -hmm. industry, as I prefer to call it, to actually rise to this challenge and build enough capacity. So the, the Faraday Institute, which is the government body which forecasts demand for the UK, is forecasting that by 2035, Britain alone will need 75,000 tonnes of lithium carbonate equivalent, which, put it in context, is is a very large, like one-fifth of total global supply right now. So we are facing a big uh, issue. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's fascinating, Jeremy, fascinating conversation. It, my next question, it's kind of twofold, really, um, and I don't know if there's an answer, but how much lithium is av available globally? You know, how much have we got and how long do we think it could possibly last? And um, probably more importantly, Cornish lithium, clearly Cornwall, how much do you think is available in Cornwall and what percentage of the UK demand could that manage? Okay, um, thanks, Joe. The, 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 the availability of lithium in the world is, 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 is potentially very large. Um, but as I said before, is that lithium economic? Um, it's probably a case that there's probably lithium in my garden in, in London, but um, is it being mined? Absolutely not, because it's not economic to do so. Um, so th there's a lot of lithium in Bolivia and salt lakes in Bolivia. There's a lot of lithium in Chile, Argentina, Australia. Um, but can that lithium be mined? And more importantly, can it be mined as, in, in a sustainable manner without um, damaging the environment? And obviously that currently um, in Chile, some of that lithium extraction is depriving um, communities of, of water um, because they're evaporating that water to extract the lithium. So huge amounts of water being used in there, um, which contrasts very strongly with what we're doing in Cornwall, which is a direct lithium extraction method, not an evaporation method. Um, and, and in, say, Australia, you've got rock being mined there that's then, then sent to China for processing with fossil fuels. That's not exactly the most environmentally friendly way of doing it. Um, so it, 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 it's a two-edged, you know, it's a, it's a double-edged sword. You've got to extract a lot of lithium in an economic manner and do it in, in a sustainable manner. And that's the, the challenge that the world mm -hmm. faces. Um, in Cornwall, we are at the moment very aware of how this lithium is, is uh, it, it, why the lithium's there. Um, we believe it occurs over a very, very large area indeed. Hence, we've uh, secured a lot of mineral rights because um, we think that the opportunity is large. At the moment, um, we are prepared to say that we could produce around 10,000 tonnes a year from our um, project in Cornwall, our hard rock project. Um, there's another company called British Lithium, which has said they're going to produce 20,000 tonnes 
so a year. So you know that gets us up to about thirty thousand tons. Contrast that with what the, the demand of of, of, of seventy five thousand tons. We're still nowhere near there. But from our geothermal brine operations, we think we could produce uh, quite a bit. But at the moment, we don't yet know exactly how much there is and 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 how long it would last. Um, but we do think it, there is a lot, and it will last for a long time. Um, and that industry will grow uh, quite dramatically over the next ten years. And you mentioned about sustainability before, uh, and I think that's key in this, isn't it? So I want to talk about you know, sustainable extraction and what technologies are available to do it, um, basically, yes, yeah, sustainable. And also, if you use different extraction methods, does that mean there's different qualities of lithium or does it not matter? Um, the quality of lithium matters enormously. Uh, it, it, it is the most important thing of all um, because lithium as we said earlier, lithium is a metal, but the actual product that goes into batteries is lithium carbonate or lithium hydroxide. Those have to be battery grade, and that's a chemical. It's not a commodity. It's very much a bespoke chemical um, that has to be ultra, ultra pure. If there's too much magnesium, for example, the battery won't charge very quickly. Um, and, it, you know, you have to have very low levels of other things like sodium, uh, silica, etc., in that battery grade material. So it is all important, and uh, that's another challenge for many, many of the deposits around the world that they can't actually get to battery grade um, lithium uh, chemicals. We know that we can because we've done uh, tests on that. We've already produced lithium um, battery grade lithium hydroxide at our granite um, processing plant testing, um, and. We can do that in a sustainable way. The technologies that we've selected for hard rock extraction are very, very sustainable. They don't involve roasting. Um, they involve um, digestion in, of the concentrate um, using a chemical to get to a lithium hydroxide in basically a giant chemistry set. And we're bu busy going to be starting building a pileup version of that in September uh, in Cornwall. And then on the brine side, we are extremely excited about what we've seen from the various technologies. We've assessed over 20 different uh, highly sustainable methods of getting lithium out of those geothermal waters. Um, we've been working with a number of groups across the world, sending our lithium brine to uh, all over the world, California, to France, to, to New Zealand, to all over the place. And, and we have extracted lithium carbonate, in this case, from, from those waters and it's an extremely low impact um, method of doing things. And so we are, we, we style ourselves as an eco tech company, um, really uh, environmentally friendly um, technologies is at the very heart of what Cornish Lithium does. Good to hear. And just a quick one, really, just out of interest how much lithium goes in the battery? Um, so in a, in a, in a say Tesla battery, it's it's between it depends on how how high powered that battery is, but it's between thirty and fifty kilograms of lithium um, carbonate goes into that battery. So Signi a significant amount, then. Uh, absolutely, it's it's <laughs> which is why you're seeing uh, as electric vehicles become mainstream, um, why you're seeing demand ramping up so quickly is that every car that's driving around the streets is fifty, it's between thirty and fifty kilograms. As we move to more high powered vehicles and possibly solid state lithium batteries, that demand is, is going to go up. Wow, incredible. It and is. <laughs> the, the, the final one for me um, good news you recently raised um, 
you know, significant capital. Um, what are your plans going forward, really? How is that going to be used? And also, about, can you tell us about your direct lithium extraction pilot that you've, you know, that you've recently done? Sure. Um, so on the capital raise, we recently raised um, nearly £6 million from a crowdfund, which, which closed in 20 minutes. Um, we could have raised a lot more money than that um, if we'd wanted to. And if we'd been able to, and really, we are very excited about that uh, that capital raise. That that will enable us to progress our work um, quickly over the next few months. Um, but really, this is a capital intensive industry. We don't have to produce any revenue because we're not selling anything. It's all uh, this funding will go into uh, developing of our our pilot plant in from geothermal water and also from our uh, granite sources. So. Extremely excited about that. We're talking to um, a lot of investors at the moment, uh, much larger investors, about potentially investing further capital into this company. Um, obviously, got the the attention of the government as well, right up to, to Boris himself. Um, um, and obviously, that was highlighted at the G7, the recent G7 uh, conference in Cornwall. Um, and then, so yeah, lots lots going on uh, in Cornwall, and the 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 DLE direct lithium extraction plant that we're building, uh, which is part funded by the government. That's a four million pound project that is, is underway at the moment. And um, we've just managed to extract um, 160,000 liters of, of lithium enriched brine, which we'll be putting through that processing plant as we build it. It's got to be completed by March, 2022. So we have got a lot on our plate and very, very exciting times. Indeed, yeah. And, and just finally, w- when do you think you're going to be commercial? When are you in a position to start selling? We think, Joe, that we'll, we'll be um, able to produce a, a commercially in 20, we're aiming for 2025 um, because Cornwall has got a unique advantage of having the right geology, but also, very importantly, a lot of infrastructure um, associated with the, with the mining industry, both current and former. Obviously, people will probably be aware that Cornwall's still the host to a very large China clay industry, which has railways and ports and, and all the facilities that um, most miners can only dream of. Um, but that really enables us to get into production much, much quicker than, than most lithium um, producers around the world. And, and we think that um, if we really drive hard and we intend to do that, we could be in production by, by late 2025. Fantastic. I look forward to it. And no doubt we'll come down and see you and say you're getting on. But many thanks for joining us on today's podcast, Jeremy. I've learned a lot. I'm sure our listeners have too. Stuart, a fascinating interview. Absolutely. Um, great to, to learn. Um, I think you'd make a great documentary, to be honest with you. I think there's a documentary about a gold mine in Scotland at the moment. So hopefully there is. the production team will uh, be knocking on your door, Jeremy. Excellent. You'll be very welcome. Very welcome to come and visit anytime. And thanks for your time, Joe and Stuart. Another fascinating guest on this week's Great British Manufacturing Podcast. Uh, moving on, Stuart, let's get back on with the news. Um, Factory Now member Protolab, uh, they've highlighted some opportunities in the electrification industry here within the UK, and it could be massive. Absolutely. The UK thrive to become a world leader in electrification. is set to create a major reshoring opportunity, according to a new report in charge, a Protolab-backed survey of 200 senior executives from the European battery industry has revealed 84% of UK companies are looking to bring parts of their su- supply chain closer to the manufacturing base over the next 12 months. The desire to localise supply chains has never been more prominent following the, the economic disruption caused by the pandemic, with an increasing number of firms looking to increase security of supply and speed to market, not to mention reducing their carbon footprint. Um, 
Another statistic, 77% of UK respondents are also looking to outsource component production to specialist manufacturers. 86% are planning on launching a new battery product or storage system during the next 12 months. And this reshoring opportunity could potentially lead to billions of pounds of, of investment and thousands of new jobs. Yeah, it's one of these things, isn't it? You know, that this isn't going away. So we, as, as a government, as a country, as manufacturers, we need to get on board with the electrification, I guess, you know, of everything, not just cars, but obviously cars are the big one, but, you know, bikes, everything, you know, it's going to be massive moving forward. It's almost every week, isn't it, on this podcast, we're talking about a new gigafactory, um, a new supplier to, to, to the industry. Um, you know, as we've just said in the interview with trade wars and so forth, we need to protect the domestic supply chain. So hopefully this will, will this this report will be uh, proved to be very accurate. Yep. Moving on with uh, Boeing, they've just secured a massive order, two hundred and thirty-three and a half million pounds to be exact. Yeah, this is um, Boeing and the MOD have signed an agreement for Boeing to support the Royal Air Force's fleet of Poseidon MRA-1 maritime patrol aircraft, easy to say, and training of the personnel who operate them. Under the, the uh, aircraft and training support contract valued, as, as you say, north of $230 million. Boeing will provide maintenance services, spares and repairs, as well as supply chain forecasting and inventory management services. And these agreements will create more than 150 jobs in the UK. Um, including over 100 at RAF Lossiemouth in Northern Scotland. And just as a bit of context, while we're talking about Boeing on a British manufacturing uh, podcast, Boeing employs more than 2,500 people in the UK and spends £2 billion a year with British suppliers. Yeah, it's worth knowing, isn't it? Uh, Medicom have created 250 jobs its new plant in Northampton. What can you tell us about those, Stuart? Not a great deal, Joe. We've got a couple of uh, we've got a couple of lines for, for these uh, last two stories. So, Medicom, Canadian-owned PPE manufacturers, opened a new multi-million-pound factory, as you say, in Northampton, and this is after securing a huge contract with with the NHS. Two hundred and fifty people will be ultimately employed at the f- facility, which is already making one and a half million face masks a day under its uh, Colney brand. It's fair to say that these aren't for me and you; these are for NHS workers. That's right. Yeah, things have obviously changed. Recent announcements by the government in terms of obviously wearing face masks is, is no longer going to be mandatory, but that's not the case within the NHS. And um, Myra's are building a new four million pound test facility in uh, in Norfolk. Yeah, great little story. Uh, company I've not heard of. I'll, I'll be honest with you um, until um, MTD posted. Um, but Myra's are one of the UK's leading commercial aircraft seating manufacturers. They're building the largest commercially available facility of its kind in the UK. Um, construction of the new uh, four million pound test centre, which will be an extension to its current site in Norfolk, will begin in September, and the official opening is scheduled for July next year. Right, that brings the end of the podcast, Stu. It's been a, it's been another good one. Uh, pl- plenty of news we haven't featured today, as always. Times against us, but it, it, plenty of good news still in the UK manufacturing sector. Absolutely, and you know across all industries, and it's good to see. Um, I know we interviewed Stephen Phipson, didn't we, um, a month or so back about from the Mate UK, and we were all in agreement that the aerospace sector may take quite a long time to to recover from the pandemic. But again, we featured a couple of aerospace stories this week and hopefully that will continue over the next few months. Indeed. But if if you're listening to this podcast and you're interested to learn more about manufacturing, you can go to the mtdmfg.com website where you'll find a lot more of the news than what we've discussed today. Uh, You can follow Jefferson underscore MFG and at mtdmfg across social media. Better still, download the mtdmfg app for exclusive content. But Stuart, a big thank you to you. Of course, uh, Jeremy of Cornish Lithium. But as always, the biggest thank you goes to you at home for listening. See you next week. 
great British manufacturing podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and a review. You can find us on Twitter using at MTDMFG and at Jefferson underscore MFG.